Farming Programme with Araquit Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Grantham. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. Well, good morning, and once again, this is Andy Marshin for Steve Orchard on this morning's farming programme. Steve will return next week. And as a new study reveals the extent of mental health problems amongst farmers, we speak to Lincolnshire's agricultural chaplain, the Reverend Canon Alan Robson, about the pressures those in the industry are currently under. Agri-inflation at 30%, doubling, trebling in costs, will be challenge enough. I'm 100% sure there will be more calls on our services and need for help and support. And what exactly is body conditioning scoring amongst sheep? If you don't know, keep listening and we'll tell you. That gives us a really good indication of how much fat that animal is storing and therefore how much energy it's got on board as a, as a reserve. We'll also discover about the CropTech Agricultural Show, which is taking place at the end of this month. Plus, there's the market reports with Oliver and Alice, agronomy with Sean Sparling, and the weather for the week ahead. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme. Now, once again, sadly, bird flu continues to dominate the agricultural news. More outbreaks have been detected across Lincolnshire and, indeed, throughout the whole country this week. And from tomorrow, bird keepers will legally be required to house their poultry indoors. A new study by the Farm Safety Foundation has found that 92% of farmers under the age of 40 cited poor mental health as the biggest problem they currently face. I caught up with Lincolnshire's agricultural chaplain, the Reverend Canon Alan Robson, and asked him about the pressures farmers are under. He told us about the approach they take to anyone who's struggling to cope. It happens in a variety of ways. We meet people at a market and a neighbour will say, I'm a bit worried about Tom or Fred or... Cynthia or Mildred, and we'll find a way of meeting that. The types of challenges can be the usual bereavements, it can be the tragic accidents, it can be moments of suicide, or it can be the bank is calling loans in. That's the great thing. We can link chaplaincy with Lincolnshire Rural Support Network, who have teams of all sorts of great people who can advise and guide and know people to help surround the farming family through a period of change and and stress and worry and it's a wraparound. We don't just go and have a half hour session and say there, there, that's nice, let's have a cup of tea. We're there till the problem is resolved and sorted. And what are the sort of pressures that you're finding at the moment? Yes, we talked about avian flu, etc. and the pig sector's had it difficult. Are there certain things that have emerged this year that are particularly prevalent? Well, you just need to go west of Gainsborough and hear about all the solar farm proposals. One scheme alone is the size of 5,500 football pitches. That's a lot of glass and steel across some perfectly good land. And that is a real worry for the farmers in those patches. And you've heard of the reservoir in the south of the county. Well, that's a lot of farming families who, in time, are potentially going to lose their farm. And compensation won't make them be able to buy another farm. They're new things. And that's the ambiguity, isn't it? Because we do need more sustainable energy and we do need to stop fresh water going into the sea, but there will be consequences. And I think getting that balance right, I'd much rather see solar panels on every new house and on every new school and on every new hospital building than be put on perfectly good land. There needs to be more balance in that discussion. But the usual things 
things always go on. People haven't thought around next generation succession, family fallouts about who's going to own what when dad or mum dies and all of that. I strongly advise that anybody in farming needs to rethink, relook at what their plans are and share it. It sometimes just gets held in the matriarch or the patriarch. Is it the case that at the moment you're seeing yet things like family disagreements etc things that you'll get all the time or is there any evidence that perhaps due to various stresses and strains pressure is greater at the moment it's beginning to increase like across the whole of society agri-inflation at 30 percent doubling trebling in costs will be challenge enough i'm 100 percent sure there will be more calls on our services and need for help and support but you're ready to help and offer yeah. the best advice and help? Absolutely. We've got a huge team now who can give their time to make things understandable for farming community. Indeed, a very worrying issue. Now, next week, Steve Orchard will be back in the hot seat. But before he went away, he spoke to Leslie Stubbings, who's an independent sheep specialist, all about the issue of body conditioning scoring amongst sheep. She puts us in the picture about the matter. What we're actually doing is just using certain points on the animal, so feeling certain points on the animal that give us a direct route really to how much energy the animal has stored. Um, So we're looking at um, handling them over the the last rib, over the back, and that gives us a really good indication of how much fat that animal is storing and therefore how much energy it's got um, on board as as a reserve. And how is this actually measured? Are you saying about you feeling the animal and so on? Is it just that or is there a more technological way of measuring? There's a scoring system and it's an interesting one actually because this has been kind of been done backwards on in the sense that body condition scoring was developed in the, the late 1960s, early 1970s. So it's not new um, and it was designed and they score it on a score of, of, of one, which is very thin. So there's virtually no fat cut up to a score of five which is basically obese and that animal is so fat you can't feel the backbone with various grades in between so we use half scores and even quarter scores when we're doing research work now that's been around a long while but more recently we have been able to with ultrasound and ct scan technology be able to verify that and it's been quite surprising, actually, that we've done that in some cases on a demonstration. Somebody's been there with a machine and been able to show the differences and been able to corroborate what we're actually doing. And what does it actually indicate? You say, obviously, we're looking at the health of the animal. It's just indicating the fat condition or, or what? Is it indicating well, anything else in terms of the animal's health? It's animal's health and potential productivity, really. So... What this was originally designed for was that the original researchers found that if you had sheep in the target body condition score, i.e. they were in good health and condition at specific times of year. So, for example, this time of year we're talking now is in the run up to mating for most flocks. Um, And this is a critical time when the ewes need to be in good condition because what they found was that ewes that were either too fat or too thin, it affected their fertility. And then it affected their ability to be able to carry lambs through to lambing next year. So they came up with a system whereby we have target scores. And these scores have been used, as I say, for, for, for decades as targets because they're an indication of how well that you is going to perform for you in the next production cycle. And has it become more accurate because of the machines you're using? I think it has become more accurate. 
Um, I think what we've also learned as well is that because of the technology we have available now uh, in the form of, of RFID, EID technology, whereby we can actually follow individual animals over a long-term period. Um, I did some work starting back, I went out to New Zealand in 2012 and was talking to the Aussies and they'd been doing more work and came back and we started a project where we looked at using body condition score on a more longitudinal basis and what the effects were over a longer period of time on individual animals. And we could actually work out from that what we've been able to show is that it's not just reaching those target scores at specific times in the year, um, it also has an effect for the, the next production cycle and way beyond that as well. Um, and we've been able to use the technology to, to help us show that. So we've been able to underpin um, really that the critical importance of body condition score um, as, a, as a management tool throughout the, the year and from year to year. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme. And next is time for Agronomy, and here he is, Mr Sean Sparling. Morning to you, Sean. Yeah, morning again, Andy. Yeah, are you still here? I hope Steve brings your sticker up back or something. Say thank you for doing such a good job. It's almost like you've done it before. I don't know whether you've ever considered a career in radio, have you? So, October 2022 then. That was the wettest month that I've recorded since October 2019. I've just taken 109.6 mil of rain in October 2022. Back in October 2019, I registered 136.2 millimetres of rain. Now, we can all remember autumn 2019 but we're in a far better nick than we were back then if you think back it was bone dry until the 23rd of september 2019 then it started raining and it simply did not stop i think we had five dry days in the next three four months and none of those ran consecutively this year we managed to get to about the 20th of october so we had a fraction of the wheat in the ground back then. Uh, we ended up with about 10% of the wheat drilled. The cabbage stem flea beetle absolutely annihilated the oilseed rape. We had no winter barley in the ground. We'd already lost about 70% of the oilseed rape at this point, And then we lost another 20% or so the following March because of the larvae from the cabbage stem flea beetle. So... As I say, yes, it's wet, but there is no comparison to 2019. We've got 90% plus of our wheat in the ground. All the winter barley's in. Upwards of 90% of the oilseed rape drilled is going to be OK. Some of it's going to be a little bit too OK, actually. When you see the buds of oilseed rape uh, staring at you in October, it's always a bit disconcerting. But those plants should sort themselves out over the coming months. And if they lose that lead racine, they're more than capable of compensating for that. So some very, very good wheat, barley, oilseed rape crops out here then. And with soil temperatures still above 12, coupled to the moisture and the soil still mineralising and releasing that nitrogen, we're seeing these crops absolutely romping away. Bit of herbicide uptake about, worse than it was last week thanks to the rain we've had since. But these crops should all grow out of that. It'll be doing way more damage to the black grass than it will be to the wheat. So what's a bit of yellowing between friends, eh? Very few gaps out in these fields either. Very even emergence this year. Bit of slug damage here and there. Again, you should prioritise the cloddier seed beds for slugs and those crops still to emerge because the hollowing is way more difficult to overcome than a bit of grazing on the surface. Now, it's not easy to see if you're doing any good either with ferrous phosphate. We know that. It's just a shame we couldn't have had a 
tracer bullet or two of metaldehyde built into the ferrous phosphate pellets but we couldn't so there's no point even worrying about that get your traps out keep looking for these slugs these conditions are absolutely perfect for them so please don't forget about them also perfect conditions for aphid development too so if you've reached 170 grown day degrees since emergence and you can find aphids you may well need to go out and get a pyrethroid on but make sure you know what the buffer zones are on the respective product they do vary so make sure you know how many meters you need to be leaving around the outside again ask your advisor and in both cereals and oilseed rape we're seeing various nutrient deficiencies showing up now nitrogen phosphate manganese magnesium very easy to find and as the oilseed rape canopies in particular start to outgrow the available levels of, of nutrition you know it's always best to try and correct any deficiency whether it be rape or cereals do that now while these crops are still growing and while they're still capable of assimilating any applied foliar nutrition and with soil temperatures still above 12 as i say day temperatures still in the mid to high teens not only is it growy weather in cereals it's also way too warm for curb still way too warm to get the most out of profizamide so keep your powder dry for a week or two yet and also worth remembering that Centurion Max Clethodim had a latest safe application timing for the end of October. It's much more about growth stage in truth, but you know, them's the rules. So late Clethodim, by the way, on a forward crop of Aussie rate can do some serious damage. So please don't be tempted and always take advice on these things. Foma, much more widespread in oilseed rape in the last seven days. Remember, it's one plant in 10 with a leaf spot if the variety's Foma rating is below seven, which is most varieties, to be fair. One plant in five for varieties with a rating of seven or higher. Um, and it's the smaller backward redrill crops which are at highest risk. Prothioconazole, diphenoconazole, pretty good on Foma. The SDHIs as well, pretty good. So, um, just check the tank mix guides and you may well be able to kill several birds with one stone but again speak to your advisor now as far as topping up the blackgrass control in the cereals the weather if it hasn't been too wet it's been too windy just hasn't been helpful to us at all for the last 10 days or so but as we said last week probably best to base your top up around flufenacet depending upon what's already gone on of course but you've also got clotolyron diflufenacan metribuzin pendimethylin prosulfacarb all there in the mix if you need them and best applied any of these top-ups before those grass weeds get much bigger than two leaves, preferably one leaf if the conditions will allow. So I just want to finish off with a quick word about urea. I've had a few questions asked me about the current situation and where we are with it. So as you know, DEFRA had a consultation a couple of years ago where they put forward three options, one of which was to ban urea completely. So we put together an industry consortium, uh, which included the NFU, NIAB, myself, AICC, and we came up with a fourth option, which thankfully DEFRA accepted and the key to that fourth option is that any solid or liquid form of urea which is applied after the 31st of March 2023 is going to require a urease inhibitor so that it reduces those losses. Now, Red Tractor is going to audit the farms and the suppliers are supposed to state on any invoices where the inhibitors have been included. And that way, DEFRA can monitor the level of inhibitor use. And if DEFRA aren't happy, make no bones about it, they can legislate from 2025-26 to ban urea altogether. So it's very important we follow these inhibitor rules. So this is an industry initiative to try and avoid uh, legislation, really. It starts on the 1st of April 2023, and the audits will start in October 2023. They can't retrospectively audit inhibitor use, so effectively there'll be no requirement legally 
until spring 2024, but it's down to your discretion as to whether you use inhibitors in spring 2023. To be absolutely honest, I think we should all be using them. Um, and to be fair, you know, if urease inhibitor use is going to be crucial in avoiding legislation or avoiding urea, we may as well start now. Um, and with the, the, the consortium, by the way, has written to DEFRA again to try and delay this whole process by another year because of the issues with ammonium nitrate, the costs, the supply around the world in general. So watch this space and watch Miss Coffee. So it's wet, it's windy. We've still got all of last week's work to do when it finds up. So let's see what the next seven days bring. The Farming Programme with Araquit Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate, Gransom. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme. Now, on Wednesday the 23rd and Thursday the 24th of this month, it's the Crop Tech event at the East of England showground near Peterborough. Teresa Rush is involved in its organisation and told us what it's all about. Crop Tech is a technical arable farming event aimed at arable farmers. We bring together an exhibition, seminars and what we call specialist knowledge hubs, which are focused on very specific topics. And the aim really is to get farmers talking amongst themselves and with experts and also catch up with the latest developments in the arable sector. So it's partly about sharing best practice between various farmers. We always have farmer speakers in the programme. This year is no exception. We encourage farmers to have a chat amongst themselves to catch up with those speakers with the aim of taking their businesses forward. And in terms of some of the seminars, just give us a flavour of the kind of things that will be explored during the event. We've got four seminars. The first one is looking at coping with change. So within that seminar, we're looking at costs environmental regulation and what we're calling cultivating resilience so it's basically setting businesses up to be fit for the future. We've then got a a deep dive into the the world of crop nutrition and how tech could help manage fertilizer costs obviously that's a big issue right now in the industry. We have then got a look at natural capital revenue opportunities so that's things like carbon biodiversity and how they might going forward become profit streams for farmers and then finally we're looking at disease control in a changing climate there are issues obviously around the loss of crop protection products but also advances in plant breeding that might help us control disease better if i can ask you about the technical aspects of the event themselves what are the aims there because i know you've got certain demonstrations uh, just tell us a little bit of detail about that Technology is an important part of of arable farming and one of the aims at CropTech has always been to look at how technology can help farmers cut costs, manage their profitability, improve their profitability and also keep up with the latest tech. We do have a sprayer demo area at the event again this year which will be looking at development on some of the the newest machines and farmers can actually go out and sit on those machines and get up close and personal if you like in in, in the cab. Hopefully they'll be keen to take advantage of that. And also with the exhibition we've got 130 plus exhibitors who will be showcasing a whole range of farm technology around things like data management, digital platforms, crop nutrition, plant breeding. We're always hearing about farmers being encouraged to be more environmentally friendly and to perhaps work in that way. Is that something that's going to be covered at the event? In the sense of looking at environmental regulation and the idea of cultivating resilience, you know, we we talk a lot about regenerative farming and and that's looking at soil health primarily. So, yes, it will certainly be an aspect of the event. And finally, Teresa, if you can just uh, recap on the details for anybody who's not heard of this before, where and when is it? CropTech takes place on the 23rd and 24th of November at the East of England showground, Peterborough. 
Thanks, Teresa. Now it's time for the Livestock Report from the Livestock Market with auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Morning to you, Oliver. Good morning, Andy. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth for Monday the 31st of October. Steers, prime steers, top at 256 pence per kilo and gross £1,507 for JC Scolia Bormer. Heifers top at 257 pence per kilo and gross £1,641 for F. Wallace and Son of Biscothorpe. While prime bulls top at 220 pence per kilo and gross £1,295 for John Thirlby of Kexby. On to the cool cows with an all in average of 139 pence per kilo with a top at 160 pence per kilo for A.W. Lewis and Son of Grainthorpe or £893 for R.W. and T.G. Mountain of Great Carlton. This week also saw store cattle with a top in the steers and the heifers for P.G. and N.J. Rutter with steers at £1,250 and heifers at £1,190. That wraps the cattle up and moving on to the sheep. Similar number of lambs forward to SQQ this week at 234.04 pence per kilo with an all-in average of 233.14 pence per kilo. Top goes to Messrs Haith of Skibrook at £150 per head or 286 pence per kilo. On to the cool ewes and a very, very similar number forward. However, national trade uh, just falling a little bit this week to leave an all-in average of £79.93. To top for Charlie Noble of South Summercoats at £166 per head. Finally, just some store lambs on offer this week with one or two tidying up the end of the store lambs to all-in average £72.26 with a top for MA and IJ Brumby of Middle Raisin at £88 per head. Huge thank you to everyone that's been and supported this week. Prime and cool cattle and prime and cool sheep are required for tomorrow's market. And we've also got another store cattle sale with store cattle already entered. So for all marketing options, please do not hesitate to contact me. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market. Thank you, Oliver. Next, it's the Open Field Markets and Prices Report. This week, it's Alice Killam. Morning, Alice. Good morning, everyone. This week has proved nearly impossible to trade. £10 swings up Monday with global grain futures charts predictably higher. But if I'm honest, not as high as I thought they might get to after Russia suspended its cooperation in the grain corridor deal after Saturday's attacks. This rise then came back by nearly the same amount on Wednesday morning as Russia resumed its participation in the Black Sea grain deal. This downfall is obviously good news for the world, but bad news for our ex-farm grain prices. Interestingly, don't forget that the original deal must still be negotiated in 15 days' time. The G20 summit on the 15th of November is being seen by commentators as a key date where Putin will use the Grain Corridor deal to help negotiate the lifting of sanctions on Russia. It's difficult to know what will happen next. After this week, there is zero point guessing. The cynic in me must point out that during these four days of non-cooperation, Russia sold over 600,000 tonnes of wheat to Pakistan at this inflated price, only to then sink the price level once the deal was done. Take that as you will. Moving away from this, we are still focusing on physical sales and purchases, so for the time being we are back to looking for consumer interest and export bids. We know that the UK must remain competitive to move our exportable surplus. We have good quality and we are currently on target to achieve this with the September HMRC numbers released in the next few days. The La Nina weather story is still alive and kicking. Rain delaying harvest and affecting quality in Australia, but drought in Argentina, which is meaning a small wheat crop for a key world exporter. The talk is now that exports might be restricted. Back to the UK and our current wheat balance sheet, courtesy of the AHDB numbers, we can see very large yields estimated over the five-year average that some are seeing as optimistic. Nevertheless, you can see we have a sizable exportable surplus of circa 2 million tonnes. 
Note the animal feed number could drop several hundred thousand tonnes if avian flu worsens. However, the ethanol number could rise the opposite direction in the spring if cheap maize doesn't exist and the government changed from E10 to E15, as some commentators are suggesting to be an option. It has been a good week for global oilseeds and veg oil markets. Rapeseed has followed beans and palm oil higher as disruption to supply from both Ukraine and Brazil are back on the agenda. The weaker pound has helped the UK ex-farm value also in the last 24 hours. Prices for this week. Feed week, December 262 to 272. Jan 264 to 274 with a pound carrying a month on from here. Milling wheat premiums have stretched to around 45 to 50 pounds. There's still a little demand pre-Christmas. Feed barley, Jan 238 to 248, Feb 240 to 250, again with a pound cow per month on from here too. We still have demand for malting barley pre-Christmas with a widened premium of around 40 to 50 pounds, so please call in for firm values. All seed rate for this week, December 235 to 245, Jan 240 to 250. Have a great week, everyone. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, this week looks like being mostly dry and temperatures rising just a little bit. There is the possibility of one or two showers around today, but mostly dry again and somewhat cloudy with light winds, highs at about 12. Milder on Monday, up to about 15, but mostly dry and cloudy. Tuesday's the most likely day for rain, but even then, not too much. Sunny spells on Wednesday, but Thursday and Friday are likely to be rather dull if dry temperatures round about 14 to 15. Not too much wind to speak of, and that's the way it's looking. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme. And my thanks go out to Sean, Alan, Alice, Oliver, Leslie and Teresa this morning. I've enjoyed my time covering The Farming Programme. Steve Orchard returns this time next week. Have a good week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate, Gransom. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts.